This book is about why that sentiment is such a rare and precious thing in modern society and how the lack of it has affected us all. It's about what we can learn from tribal societies about loyalty and belonging and the eternal human quest for meaning. It's about why, for many people, war feels better than peace and hardship can turn out to be a great blessing and disasters are sometimes remembered more fondly than weddings or tropical vacations. Humans don't mind hardship. In fact, they thrive on it. What they mind is not feeling necessary. Modern society has perfected the art of making people not feel necessary. It's time for that to end. My friend who is a veteran, a philanthropist, an entrepreneur, a BNI networker, born and raised in the Midlands, my friend, Stephen Diaz. Thanks for hanging out, man. Good to be here. Heck yeah. And I'm excited to have you back on. We talked a couple times before. Yeah. <laughs> so it is always a pleasure to catch up and hear what's going on. And I do want to kind of go back and, you know, just for people who haven't heard some of your story, where you're from, et cetera, uh, start from the beginning. So born well, I, I, I wasn't born here. Oh, sorry. It's okay. <laughs> they don't know that. So the new people don't know that. Okay, go ahead. Uh, but I was born in Mexico. Oh. Uh, my dad's from Mexico. My mom's from Nicaragua. They met in uh, Texas uh, at a seminary. And they were called to start a Hispanic church in Columbia, South Carolina. And so we came over when I was four years old. Um, parents got permission um, from the government, so they came over. Um, this program is still around. It's called a green card. You come over as a, as a permanent resident. Um, so you come over to work. And at that time, um, it's seven years that you have to be in the country, pay taxes, not get in trouble. Uh, and then... After those seven years, you're, you're kind of just waiting in line. You're playing the waiting game as to when yeah. your citizenship number is going to be called. And so I always knew that in time, getting your citizenship was going to come. Um, I didn't really know what it meant to me because, I mean, I practically was born here, I guess you could say. I mean, coming at four years old, you don't, you don't know any different. Um, and... Um, I didn't know, I didn't know what freedom meant, you know, I, I didn't know what, um, you know, American exceptionalism, um, I just knew the culture, I loved the culture, I loved it more than, you know, my native culture, but I knew it, yeah. um, and so I, I had adopted this country as pretty much my own, and then 9-11 happened, and that triggered a it triggered something in me into what now, what does being an American mean to me? Um, because at that time I felt as though, yes, you know, New York was attacked. We lost people. America was attacked, but then I also felt like, like I was attacked. Um, you know, my parents had the freedom to come here and yes, they had a, a mission, um, which was to, to, to help people find faith and, um, uh, to help out the the Hispanic community here, but a part of that was bringing bringing myself and my sisters. I have three younger sisters, yeah. and to bring them uh, two that were born here, um, 
well, I guess three three of them were were or all of them were born in the states. Um, but I mean, we easily could have been living in in another country right now, yeah, uh, and, and not known anything about the United States um, other than where it's at on the map, you know. And so, nine eleven for me um, was the freedoms that my parents got to enjoy, that we got to enjoy, um, them bringing us over here to, to give us a, a better life and to help out another community that's not theirs. You know, them sacrificing their friends, their family, their potential futures in their home countries to come over here. I mean, that was big to me. And that was an awakening because I never really thought about it like that. I just didn't care. I was just selfish and what about me? And, uh, and then at that point, something changed. Um, also, I really had no plans after high school. <laughs> I, I didn't, you know, I didn't know. I was just going through the motions and being first generation here. I wasn't, and being the firstborn, I wasn't really pushed into, hey, this is what you do next. Yeah. Um, go to school or go find a job or start a business. I, it, my parents were just more. They got three younger ones. We're, we're working on them. Um, he can go figure it out, kind of thing. And um, he'll be good. That's it. And so I uh, um, got with a couple other friends who. I don't know if they were on a similar path or didn't know what they were doing, um, but we all said, hey, we're going to join the military. And uh, a lot of people who are in the military have a similar story of, of they find other people and, hey, this is, we're going to join, we're going to join together. Yeah. Uh, and then come to find out I was the only one of that group that ended up joining. <laughs> <laughs> Not just joining, but then joining the Marine Corps. Uh, and then the way that happened was speaking with, because um, uh, here in Columbia, at the time, all the recruiters were down on downtown Columbia on uh, Assembly Street, and they're all just right there together. And so I was going into each one of the offices and then asking them, who, who is the toughest? I don't know why. I was just asking them that. I'm just messing with them, like, who's the toughest? Uh, and all of them, of course, were saying, go to the Marine Corps. And so I went to the Marine Corps office and asked them the same thing. Hey, who's the who, who's the toughest? Everyone here says y'all are. And so there's a there's a game that recruiters play. Um, it's a mind trick, and it worked perfectly on me. Uh, and it's like, well, you wouldn't make it anyway, so what do you care? <laughs> uh, they hooked you. They did. So if if, if you ever want to sell me on something um, or get me to do something, tell me I can't do it. And that's the motivator for me, uh, because in, in, in my story, as I share different things, I look back and I'm like, why did I do that? Oh, that's right, because someone said I couldn't do it. Um, and or someone said it was really hard and or dumb and I'll, <laughs> I'll do it. I'll, I'll be the guinea pig. I'll, I'll, you know, I'll test it out and see what happens and tell you the story after. Um, and so at that time, when I found out that I was the only one that was going to enlist, it was too late. I was already in. Um, already bought the t-shirts, you know, I, I was, that, that's it. Uh, and so, and I didn't even tell my parents, I showed up one day with the recruiter. They brought me to the house. I needed my birth certificate. And, um, so my mom gave it to me and she was like, what do you need this for? Uh, so I'm doing a project at school, got back in a recruiter car and we took off. And, um, then I came back home one day and I said, Hey, by the way, I joined the Marine Corps. And I'm shipping off to boot camp. Bye. <laughs> That's it. And I left. 
And then the next thing they hear from me is the phone call, the one phone call you get at, at boot camp down in Paris Island, and you get to tell them, hey, I'm here, I'm safe, I'm alive. Click. That's it. And while I was in boot camp. Well, let me ask you this. Yeah. You're stone cold. You didn't, you didn't tell your mom what you no, were doing. I, did, I didn't. How did she take it? She wasn't happy, but I didn't care. <laughs> you were on the path. I, that, I, that's what I was doing. Yeah. Yeah, well, that, I mean, that speaks to your conviction. So, that go ahead. What happened in boot camp? Um, and so, when I was in boot camp, um, one of the drill instructors asked me if uh, if I was a citizen. It was a Hispanic uh, drill instructor, and um, and 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 he knows he knows that a lot of the Hispanics um, or their minorities that come through there might not be um, citizens. And so he asked me if I was a citizen. I said no, sir. Um, and you can't you can't say you so it's a you know, this recruit is not a it's a just weird uh, cultish thing that we do, um, and I said no no sir this recruit is not a citizen, and he said well do you want to be yes sir this recruit wants to be a citizen he goes too bad. Uh, at that point that the Marine Corps had gotten a letter from my parents that told them that uh, it was their turn to go get their citizenship. And that the only way for me to get my citizenship through that same process that they were going was to go with them to Charleston to go swear in. And so I guess my parents thought that they were going to let me leave base and go to Charleston, swear in, get my citizenship, and then come back to boot camp. And so I didn't know I didn't know anything about it. Joe Sartre just – and then he told me, he goes, well, your parents – or off to Charleston, go get their citizenship, and guess where you're not going? And I said to Charleston to get my citizenship, and he said, "Damn right." <laughs> With a lot more color for words, but um, he goes, "You're mine now. You're not going anywhere." <laughs> and uh, so at that point, I, I technically, because I lost my at that point my green card um, that I had, which is the resident alien card, um, that got. It expired pretty much because I was under my parents, and so now technically I was um, illegal or undocumented, however less unless it offends you. Uh, uh, the whole time I was in the Marine Corps, but they don't care because you're in, and now you have this little card that says property of the U.S. government, and then that doesn't. That's it. Um, so you were just a Marine. You weren't a citizen. Anything else? That was they. They, they had you. Yeah, that's, that's mean. You're like okay, and then he's like, all right, go back do push-ups or something. I mean, this it's wild. The boot camp's wild, um, and so that's the that's the moment that I had citizenship in my grasp right there. I was ready to, uh, and then just taken away. But I, I mean, one of the reasons that I joined the Marine Corps uh, or the military was to gain my citizenship because I wanted to gain it in a way that I felt like I earned it rather than it just be given to me. Yeah. And so it, it didn't it didn't really make me too upset. It was comedic the way it happened. Um it's quite a story. But you know, I was kind of like, well, you know, I signed up for this. I definitely didn't know what I was getting myself into because you watch the movies and you play video games and you think I heard I think I got it. No, you there's no way. There's nothing to prepare you um for Marine Corps boot camp. But um yeah, so then I graduated. Um, I graduated boot camp, and then what a lot of people do who come from South Carolina uh, or really the East Coast that go to Paris Island 
is that they choose bases um, or or ask to get stationed at a base that's close to South Carolina. So the closest Marine Corps base to South Carolina is in North Carolina, okay. um, in Jacksonville, North Carolina, called Camp Lejeune. That's so a lot of people go up there. Well, I didn't join the Marine Corps to go uh, home on the weekends. And it's not summer camp, right? It's uh, and so I there was an opportunity for me to go to Okinawa, Japan. And so, like, well, that's where I want to go. I joined the military to get the most experience out of it that I can. Um, And so as I finished boot camp, you go to um, what's called Marine combat training. Or if you go the infantry route, you go to infantry school. But they're in the same same place in North Carolina. So as I graduated that school, um, then that's where you go to your next duty station, which is where you go to your whatever training or school or job that you pick. Yeah. from there, I went to uh, Missouri, uh, Fort Leonard Wood, which is an Army base, uh, and I went there to train for motor transportation. So because I wasn't a citizen, a lot of my jobs that I wanted or that I thought that I wanted were limited. Uh, and so um, the jobs that I had picked uh, originally was a crew chief, uh, motor transportation, and then being a tank crewman. Um, we ended up putting motor transportation before crew chief because my my recruiter didn't know what crew chief was. So it's like, okay, <laughs> the, 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 the military is, is, it's just one big, I don't want to say joke. I mean, well, it is, I mean, it's just, it's funny. Yeah. Um, cause nothing makes sense. And if it did make sense, it wouldn't work. Right. Okay. Uh, and so <laughs> That is interesting. <laughs> it's just, it's just, it's not supposed to work. Uh, and, and but there's a method to the madness yeah. everywhere. Uh, and so, picked motor transportation, and went went to Fort Leonard Wood, and I ended up getting second in my class. Um, and you think, well, what's the big deal? You're just driving a truck. Um, how do you get? How do you not get first in your class? Uh, well, Marines aren't the smartest of of, 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 of any of the branches. Um, but there's, there is some book work, um, element to it and expertise on the vehicles that we have. Uh, and I just ate it up and I loved it. I felt like this is, this is where I'm supposed to be. Um, I enjoyed the friends that I had made there. Um, and, uh, because I got second, I got to pick the duty station that I wanted. Okay. So I picked Okinawa, Japan. Yeah. And my parents actually came to Missouri to come see me graduate from this training school. Uh, and I told them, hey, thanks for coming. By the way, I'm going to Okinawa, Japan, uh, like tomorrow. See ya. <laughs> Your poor mom. <laughs> uh, yeah, she's got some stories, too. Um, and so that was uh, that was it. I mean, that was the last time I saw them maybe for two years. Goodness. Um, because when you get breaks or you go on vacation or something, if you're at Camp Lejeune or maybe even on the West Coast somewhere, I mean, you could just take a plane ride. Well, in Okinawa, it takes a day and a half to get there, maybe two. Yeah. So you're spending four days just traveling. There's no point in going anywhere because you're already eating up all of your travel time. Um, and so all of our, all of our Christmas, Thanksgiving, I mean, all holidays was just there on Okinawa with your Marines. And so, I mean, it was our family. So Marines that are stationed in Okinawa are extremely tight. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, the Marine Corps in Okinawa, 
is completely different than the Marine Corps stateside. Um, and you don't learn that until you're in Okinawa for a while and then you come back to the States and you're like, what, what is this? What am I? Uh, I mean, the, the discipline and everything. I mean, it's just completely different. Is there a lot of um, Marines over there? Is that like a big fort or something? Just to- Oh, yeah. So we so the in Okinawa is primarily Marines. Yeah. Um, but you have Army. Army has a presence there, Air Force, Navy, every, Coast Guard, everybody. Um, the next closest big installation that's more of Army is in Korea. So you have a lot more army in Korea, but there's a Marine Corps presence there. Yeah. Um, and so, but being in Okinawa, um, you know, and and that's why, you know, you asked me to pick a book. That's why I picked Tribe, because in anything that we do, and then in my life too, just that I've seen over and over and over again, it's finding, finding your tribe. Yeah. Uh, you know, the people that are going to motivate you and support you and be there for you. Um and, uh, you know, of course, in the Marine Corps or any military, you know, you're going to find your people, um, even within a group, an establishment like it, like the, the, the Marine Corps. Uh, and so um, I'd done, a, done a, a lot of uh, missions to Korea, doing a lot of um, defense work, you know, just in case. I mean, that's all that you are doing in Korea is, is when... Um, North Korea is going to attack. Okay. And so we do a lot of training with the Korean Marines uh, and the Korean military and, and joint um, joint activities with other branches as to if we were going to get attacked, what are, how, what are we going to do? What is our response? Yeah. Uh, and so there was a lot of times where, well, I tell you, the Marine Corps doesn't make sense. There's a lot of times where we would get there and they say, all right, you're getting attached to this unit, the Korean Marines. Um, cool. We're, who's our translator? Well, there is no translator. So we'll see y'all in three months. <laughs> and so you're like, yeah. out. <laughs> like, all right. So uh, there was a lot of training with Korean Marines that neither of us could communicate with each other, um, which, you know, method to the madness. If yeah. you're in a combat situation and you're fighting with another, you know, allied country and they can't speak, you got to figure it out. Yeah. So it's like, oh, okay, well, in that case, it makes sense. Yeah, right? interesting. Yeah, yeah, that's wild. Um, but I had a great time. Uh, I was over there a total of nine months uh, in Korea. And then um, I got to come back. Uh, this was late 2004. And I, uh, I, I was presented with an option when I got back. Uh, at that time, there was a big uh, tsunami that had hit um, Sri Lanka and like the South Pacific Asia did a lot of damage. And, um, with us, the unit that I was, uh, was with an engineering unit. And so with us doing that, we do a lot of cleanup and building and rebuilding. And, um, and so we got tasked to go to these areas to help with humanitarian missions. And we were used to that in that area. There's always some type of something to help out people to help rebuild and all that. And so they had asked me, the leadership came up to me when I had gone back, and they said, hey, um, you got, you can do two things. I said, hey, thanks. Welcome. It's good to be back. <laughs> like, yeah, anyway, two things. You can either go to Sri Lanka uh, and um, do some cleanup, humanitarian yeah. work, um, or there's a mission to go to Iraq with second MPs out of Camp Lejeune, North Carolina. Just random, just completely random. And uh, I was what like, year is this? this was 04. So the war had already started. Yeah. 
Uh, it's still at the tail end of like the first year of the, of the war in Iraq. And I mean, I signed up to fight or I thought, you know, I don't, you know, I don't know. I don't know what I don't know, but, um, I knew the movies that I watched and I was like, that's cool. Uh, that's what I want to do. And, uh, and you, you learn really quickly. That's not, it's just <laughs> not like the movies at all. And so I, um, they weren't really giving me an option. Like they had only told certain people. Um, so it was kind of, Hey, we, we really want you to go. Uh, and so they were, they were picking people who had the most, um, leadership skills, people that they could depend on people that just weren't going to screw it up. Yeah. Um, and so they, out of our unit, I mean, we probably had a hundred people, um, well, in, in my in my specific group, there's there's a lot more of us, but in my specific group, it's probably about a hundred of us, and they picked they picked like fifteen of us, and then there was another fifteen from around the island. So they wanted all motor transportation marines. Yeah. What was the mission? We don't know. Well, where are we going? We don't know. Well, who's in charge? We don't know. But they need thirty people. <laughs> And we'd like for you to go. <laughs> um, That's all you needed to hear. <laughs> and I and I didn't really, I didn't really, I didn't think it twice, man. I said, this is, I feel like this is where I'm led and this is what I need to do. Yeah. And so um, because they didn't know if we were going to make it back or not, um, they let us uh, have, uh, I don't remember if it was like two weeks or a week, Um since it was close to Christmas time, they let us go see our family. Cool. So we flew, all 30 of us, we, we flew stateside and then spent a week or so with our family. So now I got to see my parents after I just got back from from Okinawa and I hadn't seen them in, what, two years? And then, uh, oh, you're back. I didn't tell them. I was like, yeah, I'm back. <laughs> um, but by the way, <laughs> now I'm going to Iraq. <laughs> For like yeah. seven months or something. Oh, what are you going to be doing? No clue. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> um, and uh, so that was, yeah, that was my my Christmas gift to them. And then some of the guys didn't have family, and so we we they came with me, and we um, you know spent Christmas with my family. So that was that was cool to do that for them. And then um, then we went to Camp Lejeune and got attached to this military police unit, and. Um, they hated us. They absolutely, they, the military is funny. We, um, you could have a group of, of, I make the easy math. You could have a group of like four guys, uh, four people, whatever. And you could have another group right across the table of another four guys, same branch. And all they want to do is fight each other. Um, and then you might have a group of like other four people that are like Army, Navy, Air Force or something. And then us eight Marines will go and fight those people <laughs> together. And then after we're done, we'll come back and just keep fighting each other. It's it's insane. It's just like just wild dogs. Uh, Marine Corps is crazy. Um, uh, but, I mean, that's in a in a big fight, you know, we would support each other to go. Um, but it's it's crazy. I love it, and um, I don't even know how why we we even got on that. But um, <laughs> welcome to how my mind works. You guys are trained <laughs> fighters. This is what you're gonna do. <laughs> um, yeah, and so 
So this this military police unit, some of them had already gone to Iraq once. So they're coming back. So these guys are veterans, right? They're pros. Yeah. Um, and here come these these truck drivers who have no experience. Um, they don't know anything. Uh, they're just here to drive our Humvees and our and our trucks. So y'all go on and just go go do that. Um, but then we got into situations where they were like, all right, like testing us. They're like, all right, we need you to get those weapon systems over there, put them on top of the trucks, test fire them so we can go on a training mission. And we're like, okay. They're making a big deal. Like we didn't know we, we were doing, but we were attached to a combat engineer unit in Okinawa. Um, and we constantly trained. Yeah. And then when we were in Korea, we constantly trained and, um, I mean, and it, it was extremely hands-on. I mean, we knew how to operate all of our weapon systems. We knew how to operate all of the Korean weapon systems. And wow. so we were like, okay, cool, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> and so we would put all the, you know, the 50 caliber, the Mark 19 grenade launchers, the the other machine gun systems, and we put it on and test fire, and they're like ready to go. And they're like, oh, okay, maybe these guys are all right. Um, <laughs> they know what's up. And so, because uh, there was just always just this animosity of, yeah. you know, these guys suck. <laughs> uh, and you think, like, well, y'all are Marines. Y'all are supposed to get along. No. No, okay. <laughs> and, um, and so then we got to Iraq. And our mission, we found out, was uh, convoy security, route clearance, uh, and quick reaction force. Yeah. Uh, so we went to a place called Al-Assad Air Base. Um, that was our... Um, I guess our, our our main our main base uh, where we were at. So that's where we would, uh, I guess our home base where we would come come going to from. And is that in Baghdad? I mean, so that's west, that. southern, southwest of Baghdad. So okay. that's in the Ambar province, which is the whole like left side of Iraq. Okay. And our mission was to really just like patrol all of these what are called MSRs, military supply routes, just the highway systems. And, and patrol and look for look for bombs. Yeah. And if we were on a convoy, then our job was to protect the convoy. And so if a convoy gets attacked somewhere, um, then we would go and and you know kind of search and destroy type thing, or or go get them to direct the fire at us so that the convoy because the convoy cannot stop. It has to keep moving. And they've learned from you know years of 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 combat, not just here, but, you know, in Vietnam and World War II, things that, that we've, that we implement now is that if you make a convoy stop, now you have multiple kill points okay. and choke points. And so we don't stop. Um, a lot of the, the other branches, their convoys, you, you learn, and there's, there's stories of it, of even some of the first POWs in the war were because of convoys that either got lost or convoys that just stopped. Uh, and you learn the hard way, uh, don't, don't do that. Okay. And so, um, but that was our mission. So if, if we weren't sleeping at all aside, we were on a road somewhere or protecting a convoy or flying down the roads, um, helping, um, EOD improvise ex the, the explosive ordnance disposal guys who find bombs in this their job to go blow them up. And if we didn't have those guys then we would shoot it with our bombs that we had. Uh, they weren't really made to do that type of stuff, but a bomb goes boom, and if it blows up another one, then, hey, mission accomplished. <laughs> um, and so my third month there, uh, I ended up getting getting severely injured. We'd got blown up before. Like, it wasn't a big deal. I mean, we said, you know, it's, it's kind of crazy to say, but <laughs> we'd get blown up. We'd get shot out, all that stuff, whatever. 
And um, but so my third month there, there was a mission. I had just come back from a night mission. And normally when somebody comes back from a night mission, they want you to go take a break. You, you don't they don't want you to go right back out. So just be to tired. stop you, you guys have been in like real combat and stuff going out, finding these bombs. Bombs are blowing up. You're finding bad guys and stuff like yeah. that was during that three month period. Just ongoing. Yeah. I mean, it, it wasn't it wasn't like. Black Hawk Down, yeah, you know, well, that, I mean, when, I guess when people say combat, um, we were getting shot at and we'd shoot back. Yeah. We'd get blown up. Um, it was a unique mission. Uh, so it's not, it's not what you see on, on TV and movies. Um, some stuff was, uh, but this, this particular mission, so I just come back from a night run and then there's another mission that's getting, that's going out. And it's going out to a very far away place um, called a Korean village that's near the Syrian border. Uh, I mean, it's probably and, and we can only go so fast. I mean, we're not you're, you know you're th- thinking about going on the highways and drive. We're going maybe thirty, forty five miles an hour, um, and we have to stop every time we see a little hole in the ground or a crevice or a dead animal or a vehicle because it could be a potential ex- ex- explosion or an IED improvised explosive device. And so we're having to, to stop to check this out and we're already going super slow. And so we, um, there was a guy that was supposed to go on this mission who didn't want to go. He knew where we were going and he was like, no, nah, I'm not going. Um, they said he was sick. Um, but, so there was an empty seat, and I weaseled my way into that into that vehicle. He knew it was a, a sketchy area. Yeah, yeah. And so he ended up not. <clears throat> and we're friends today, um, but uh, I ended up taking his seat, and I took advantage of the fact that it was like go time, like it's time to go. We don't have time to figure this out, and um, so I took advantage of that and got in there and and we took off and the whole mission not how it was supposed to go down didn't nothing it didn't work that way um we the roads we were supposed to go on ended up changing we were supposed to go another route the vehicle that we were supposed to be in a more up armored humvee got switched out for this like mad max crap truck that we put together that didn't even have a proper weapon system on it for the lead vehicle so yeah. i mean not, none, none of it um <clears throat> so we ended up taking that truck out and then um there's a whole lot more to the story but ended up i I ended up getting hit the worst uh on on an id that we found that we needed to go check it out uh and uh in that vehicle that we had we had a radio system in it and then it had a grenade launcher machine gun it's called a mark mark uh, 19 that's on it and those were in the middle and so i kind of jokingly thought, well, if a bomb explodes, because where, where we were headed, if a bomb explodes, it might hit this stuff and might blow it up. Um, you know, I'll just move my body over a little bit and, and block it kind of as a, it's just joking in my head, just like, I'll just block it in case this thing blows up. And as soon as that happened, boom, boom, went off. And because um, I remember my head flying back. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't feel a thing. I just remember kind of my, my body flying back. And, um, I always thought it was weird as a, if I was kind of sitting straight, why would, why would my body fly so back? But I was like, oh, now it makes sense because if I was twisted a little way, then I had more room behind me to be able to fly back. Um, and I actually didn't find a lot of this out until really about three or four years ago. All the guys that were in that accident got together 
and we shot a we shot a little small documentary just telling everybody's story. Yeah. And they were putting plugging in a lot of holes memory wise that history with that I'd had no clue. Because um, wow. then I woke up after that happened. I woke up uh, in Bethesda, Maryland, uh, and it had been like almost a week. Um, so I woke up there. I thought it was a POW because I couldn't talk. I knew I wasn't in the same place that I was. My hands were tied down, and I was like, "Crap, I'm not trained for this." I didn't go to uh, you know special forces and those guys, pilots. They go to to specialty schools just for the purpose of, hey, if you get captured, this is what you go through. I'm like, we don't, we're not meant to get captured. We're more just meant to get killed or injured. Like, it's not, that's not what we do. Um, and, uh, but it was because I was trying to pull the tubes out and stuff that they tied me down. So I wasn't as special as I thought I was. And then. Um, you were in there fighting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> tying you down. Uh, and then uh, my, my mom, uh, mom came in. And that's when I knew, okay, um, I'm safe. And I just started crying, not because my parents were there. I was pissed because I wasn't with my with my tribe. I wasn't there with my guys anymore. And um, and now I'm safe, and I have no idea what happened to them. I have no idea if I did something that might have caused someone else to get more hurt. Um, and that's just the mindset. And, not, and it's not just mine. Like if you talk to other veterans who've been injured or experienced something like that, they'll tell you the same thing, which is amazing. Um, and they gave me a piece of paper to write on. And the first thing I, I didn't write like, hey, mom, dad, love, love it. I'm here. Glad I'm safe. It's great to see you. Where's my rifle? Where's my gear? Where are my guys? I need to go back. Um, and they're like, hey, you know, great to see you too. Kind of <laughs> right? And um, and that was the that was the start of I guess really the next chapter of my life because I spent a year and eight months recovering um, from my injuries, and then so there's I mean there's a whole massive story you know in there recovering in the hospital because then it was October of 2006 that I got a pat on the back and they're like all right hey thanks you can go home now like well what do you mean they're like well you you you're done thank you. <laughs> Thank you for your service. 2004 is when you went. To, I went in to, yeah, yeah. And 2006 um, is, is. So when we got to Iraq, it was January of 05. Because okay. we got to spend Christmas and New Year's at home. And so then they, they sent us over. Because um, they had flown my parents to, well, they were going to fly my parents to Germany. Because I was supposed to die in Germany. So they stabilized me and then flew me to, I'm kind of backtracking. So then they flew me to Germany. And so they were going to go up there and keep me on life support. Um, but I'm stubborn, so I didn't die in Germany. Um, so then they called my parents and they're like, hey, he's, he's, we're going to send him to Bethesda Medical. Um, now it's called Walter Reed. The Army likes to come over and take things over that are really nice. It was because it was a naval installation. Um, okay. Now it's not. Um, but, and then... Uh, uh, so they had, then that my parents met me there. Um, and I spent a year and eight months, just all sorts of things. And then October, 2006, <clears throat> they said, all right, you can go home now. So packed up my, I guess my little book bag that I had full of stuff and then went, went home to start the next chapter. And that started the next chapter. Mm -hmm. I brought something because I know we're running out of time. I don't know if I ever showed this to you, but I brought something. 
that I got to keep because it's, it's another story. And I don't know how this looks like on camera. It just looks like a little like a little bowl. But um, this is a souvenir that I got to bring back. Wow, what a way to end it, right? What a way to end it, too. So this was obviously in my head because that would make sense, right? Um, the shrapnel that when it, the bomb blew up, it sent shrapnel through my left eye. I was I was supposed to be wearing these ballistic goggles that they give us over there, um, and it's supposed to help against debris and stuff, uh, potentially help you from an explosive uh, material. But they've got these little cheap plastic pieces on the side, and those broke. And so if you wanted them, you'd have to hold them like this while no. you're driving around. You're not going to do that. And so um, because I prepared for the military and combat, and I, in, in my preparation was a lot of movies, and so a lot of Special Forces guys would wear these Oakley snowboarding goggles. And I was like, I can do that. So I had a pair of these Oakley snowboarding goggles that I put on, and they were awesome against dust and sand terrible against uh bombs and (laughs) so the uh the shrapnel just went right through it like butter went through it it went went through my left eye it ricocheted from the side of my skull and went into my brain so i got two pieces of shrapnel that are still lodged in my um right frontal lobe and so with any kind of head injury like that what they do is they do a craniotomy so they take a piece of your skull off to let the brain swell because it swells just like any other part of your body that gets injured and then they put this um, piece of skull in my stomach, right under the right under your skin, because um, it can survive uh, within your body. And so then, when the time's right, then they go and they put it back, just like a puzzle piece. Yeah. Well, it didn't fit when they went to put it back. So they put me under, woke me up, and they said, "Hey, um, metal or plastic?" I was like, "What are you talking about?" Like, well, the skull piece didn't work, so you need to decide what you want so that we can recreate the piece, and then we can put it back. And I was like, like, right now? They're like, yeah. I was like, well, what are you going to do with the piece you took out? He's like, what? I was like, well, what are you all doing with the – with where is it? Yeah. And they're like, well, we have it. Like, he had it. It's like a little tray that they had in the, I said, what are you going to do with it? They're like, well, we toss it. I'm like, where? Like, it's a biohazard thing, and we throw it away. And I'm like, no, no, no. I need that. I want that. And they're like, we, what? <laughs> you can't have that. Like, it's mine. Why not? Yeah. So we stopped the surgery um, <laughs> because they had never had such a request before. And um, if you know me, you know I kind of like to rock the boat a little bit. Uh, <laughs> so I... um. So I had to go. They stopped the surgery. I had to go get permission from the admiral of the base, and I ended up getting in trouble with the marine unit that was there. Because when you go over there, you're under a you're under you're always under somebody's supervision, and so they had reserve marines um, pretty much running the Marine Corps there in, in the hospital. So you're under them. My 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 MOS or my job got changed from motor transportation to military police to a janitor. That's everyone's job got changed to like general maintenance or something as you're under command of the Marines that are there at the hospital. Right. And so I got in trouble with them because I didn't run it through them first to then run it to the Admiral. So now the Admiral is chewing out the, the commanding officer of the Marines there as to why I didn't, what's going on, why, you know, cause now I just bump, I just messed up all the schedule of all the other surgeries. And, um, so yeah, but I got to keep this. <laughs> 
You do a great job of rocking the boat, man. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Sometimes, uh, sometimes that's not the, the best of things. But hey, well, um, the next chapter of your life, I want to hear more about. I appreciate you sharing your story today. Yeah, I'd love to come back. Appreciate your service. What a powerful story it is. And yes, yeah, it's, it's awesome. I'm always catching up, man. Thank you.